Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of Podcast 360, your go-to resource for medical news and clinical updates. I'm your moderator, Colleen Murphy, with Consultant 360 Specialty Network. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Christy Harris, a postdoctoral associate in cardiovascular behavioral medicine with the Department of Internal Medicine, Cardiology at Yale School of Medicine. Dr. Harris recently led research on the modifiable lifestyle factors in women with Takotsubu syndrome. In her study, she and her colleagues sought to determine the association of physical activity, smoking, alcohol use, and caffeinated coffee consumption with Takotsubu syndrome. She is here today to talk about her study's findings. Thank you for talking with me today, Dr. Harris. Thanks so much for having me, Colleen. Now, before we get to the details of your study and its findings, can you talk about why you decided to research this topic in particular? Why is it important for our listeners? Sure. So my training is I'm a clinical psychologist and my specialty is in cardiovascular behavioral medicine. So I'm really interested in understanding how various psychosocial factors, behavioral factors impact patients with cardiovascular disease. And one area where we know less about how these factors impact particular cardiovascular disease is with Takotsubo syndrome. And so Takotsubo syndrome is a particularly interesting condition. It's also known as apical ballooning syndrome, but it's a transient condition where patients are experiencing pretty significant heart failure-like symptoms for a shortened period of time, and they're also at risk of recurrence for relapse of this at a later point. But what we don't know is really who's at risk for this Takotsubo syndrome. So we know women are more likely to have Takotsubo syndrome, and about two-thirds of cases are preceded by some sort of emotional or physical stressor. But not every person that has some significant stressor is going to go on to develop Takotsubo syndrome. In not every case can you identify some preceding stressor that happens. So what are those other factors that might be at play to increase someone's susceptibility? And so what I wanted to do in this study was to look at whether or not various lifestyle factors that we think might be related to some of the pathophysiology that we see in Takotsubo's might be playing a role. So that was really what served as the driver to look at this. Great. Thank you for that background. Now that we have that, let's dive into your study. Can you briefly explain what you did and what you found? Sure. So I first want to start by acknowledging the fact that The study we're speaking of is a a secondary data analysis that I did, and the primary study was run by uh, Dr. Elena Salmarajo Blotcher, who is a research scientist at Brown University and the Miriam Hospital Centers for Behavioral and Preventative Medicine in Rhode Island, and this was a study that she had gotten funding for from the American Heart Association, and I collaborated with her to look at the data that she had collected specifically on lifestyle factors. So as you mentioned before, Colleen, we looked at physical activity, alcohol, cigarette use, and caffeine consumption. And what the study was, was it was a case control study of 107 women. So 
there were a third of patients, 45 of the 107 patients, had Takasubo syndrome, and they were recruited when they came into the hospital. We had 32 patients who were similarly recruited during a hospital visit where they were being treated post-myocardial infarction. And then we had another control group of 30 healthy females. So everyone in the study was a female greater than 21 years of age. And so once these folks were recruited a month after their recruitment, Dr. Salmarajo Blotcher contacted them to complete phone assessments, looking at a lot of different factors that we think are related to Takasubos. And as part of this, they told the researchers about their usual physical activity, their usual alcohol consumption, whether or not they typically drink caffeine on a daily basis, and also about their history of smoking. So are they a smoker? How long have they been a smoker? What is their typical smoking intensity? So how many cigarettes are they normally smoking per day? And what we ended up finding from this was that in comparing responses among patients that had Takasubo syndrome and those that were post-myocardial infarction is that the lifestyle behaviors were relatively similar. So we saw similar physical activity, caffeine consumption, alcohol use, and cigarette use in those two groups. But we saw differences between the Takasubos women and healthy controls. And in our covariate adjusted analyses, really what emerged was that women that had Takasubo syndrome were more likely to consume caffeinated coffee beverages on a daily basis, and they were more likely to use cigarettes and had a higher intensity of cigarette smoking, meaning that they smoked more cigarettes per day than women that were in the healthy control group. So this signal was kind of interesting because it showed to us that use of psychostimulants, so caffeine use, cigarette smoking, it was more likely to be found in this group of Takasubos women than in healthy controls. So that was kind of the primary thing that was discovered in, in the course of this research. Those are very interesting findings. So how would you say these findings fit into the current landscape of Takasubu syndrome? Yeah, great question. So I think that, you know, this study, it had a lot of strengths. So it was one of the first studies directly querying patients about what those behaviors were that they were engaging in prior to having their index event. So prior to going into the hospital with Takasubos or myocardial infarction. And so we were able to get a lot greater detail about what some of those precipitating factors might be compared to prior research, which really relied heavily on retrospectively looking at medical records and showing that maybe this person had smoking listed in their chart previously. But our study really asked patients, what was it that you were engaging in during that time? So that's certainly a strength. But, you know, I think what this tells us, though, is that these factors might somehow be related to the pathogenesis of the disease and might perhaps increase susceptibility. But 
This, again, was a small study, just 107 women enrolled in the study. So we do have to kind of look at it with an eye of skepticism still and say that really what we need now is more research looking specifically at these lifestyle factors and their relationship to Takasubos. So I think that one thing is we might want to look at what effect changing these behaviors after someone is diagnosed with Takasubos might have on recurrence because we know that a proportion of patients that have Takasubos once are going to have it again in the future. So if these factors are playing a role, if we try to modify them, might that reduce the risk of recurrence? So I think we really need some research looking at that. And I will say too, that there was a bit of a signal in our research showing that physical activity might be a little bit lower in women that had Takasubos compared to healthy controls, but we were somewhat limited in reporting on that effect because so few patients in our study were actually exercising and engaging in regular recreational activity that there was a bit of a floor effect there. But I think, too, that future research should try to incorporate physical activity and its effects on Takasubo and also see whether or not that might have a cardioprotective effect if you modify that, if it might change risk moving forward and lowering that for recurrence. It's exciting to hear some of the future research pathways that might be most beneficial. Of course, you say that larger studies are needed to truly understand the role that the use of psychostimulants play in pathophysiology. In the meantime, though, how would you recommend that a practitioner approach a conversation with a patient who might be engaging in some of these psychostimulants? Yeah, so I think just in general, I mean, we all know that reducing, especially cigarette use, is important to kind of promote cardiovascular health as reducing cigarette use, improving physical activity, moderating alcohol intake, moderating caffeine consumption. So these are conversations that clinicians are already having with patients, but maybe they come more to the forefront when someone has had Takasubo syndrome. And again, this is a rare condition. Takasubos is not something that every provider is going to see, but if they do have a patient that comes in with post-Takasubo syndrome, making sure that this is part of the conversation including it in the conversation, maybe saying there's been some preliminary evidence that says you really need to engage in these cardioprotective lifestyle modifications. So if you are smoking, you know, maybe we need to work on modifying that, quitting and helping the patient get some help with smoking cessation. Maybe if there's excessive caffeine use, trying to curb that or lower caffeine use. Again, These are all things that come up in conversations with patients every day, but in the landscape of working with someone after Takasubo syndrome, maybe they do make it a priority to incorporate those in the conversation. Just anything that you can do to lower a patient's risk of recurrence. Those are certainly good tips, and it's exciting research. I know there will probably be more to come from it, so Dr. Harris, thank you for sharing your insight with us today. Great, thank you so much.